Today's reading is taken from the book of Mark, chapter 8, beginning at verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to lose his life, sorry, but whoever, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of God. Thank you, Matthew. Um, We are interrupting our series on uh, Joseph, um, Jacob and Joseph, uh, to talk a little bit more uh, in in the next four weeks uh, to talk about changes, what gospel changes uh, means uh, for us. And this is in response. We had a, a couple of weeks ago, the church committee went on a retreat um, together, and we discussed uh, what's coming up in our church life, and we thought that this is a, a topic that we should focus on. Um, so we are at uh, Mark 8. Um, next week will be actually family service, but then after that, uh, we'll come back to thinking about gospel-centered changes, what that means uh, for us. But as we come to this text, let's pray that God will speak to us. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks for the gospel. We thank you that gospel is about changes. And we pray that today you will draw us out of ourselves into your greatness, that we might change for the sake of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, denying ourselves has become increasingly difficult. The baby boomer generation was first called the me generation. But in 2013, the Time magazine did a piece um, on the, the, this, this latest generation, the millennials, and uh, born from 1980s. I was born in 1979, so I just, I, 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 I'm not in this generation, so I can speak about this generation really badly in this way. Um, but the Time magazine did this uh, a piece called the Me, Me, Me generation. 
There's a lot of focus on me, and the statistics prove it. For example, the Time magazine mentions that this generation is three times, they're diagnosed with narcissistic tendencies three times more than other generations. The article points out in 1950, there might have been maybe three photos of themselves at home, maybe the military photo, maybe a family or a wedding photo or something like that. But not right now, in the average American household, you can go walk in and find 85 pictures of themselves and their pets in their homes. <clears throat> And also, this generation is very confident in their abilities as well. Sixty uh, percent of millennials believe that they will be able to just feel what's right, uh, what to do in any sort of moral dilemma. Forty percent of millennials believe that they should be promoted every two years regardless of their performance. Self-actualization, becoming fuller version of ourselves, has become very important. For a while, as I was growing up, a U.S. Army recruiting slogan was be all that you can be, be all that you can be. And workplaces have figured out, actually, that is very important for the millennials. It's not just enough to pay people. You, they need to help people to become who they really want to be. Uh, DreamWorks, which employs 2,200 people under uh, 30, figured out that they uh, can't just throw money at them. So the HR had made it possible so that the employees can take photography class, sculpting, painting, cinema, cinematography class, and karate at, uh, in, in, during their work hours. Of course, this isn't just about the millennials. The world has become more focused on me, on, our, on themselves. And the church has not been immune to this. Joel Austin, the megachurch pastor's best-selling title is Your Best Life Now. The focus is on you. It's on me. Your best life now. And the, the late, his latest book is called You Can and You Will. Once again, it's about you, how you can improve, how you can have the life that you want if you just do the, say the right things to yourself and, and others. Joel Austin is a conspicuous example of this, but this brand of false teaching, false Christianity, has crept in into our church, into mainline Christianity all around the world. For example, when you read the Bible, when we read the Bible, um, what do you look for? Let me ask you, do you look for God? Do you look for what He has done? Do you look for what He is like, His plan of salvation? Or do you look for yourself? Who am I in this story? What is God saying to me? Somehow, the story of David and Goliath has become about uh, me, uh, the, the Goliath in our life, and how I can defeat the big enemies um, rather than Christ defeating our enemies on our behalf. When we read the, uh, re the record of Jesus calming the storm, it's automatically about the storms in our life. It's about me and the problems that I'm facing rather than the power of Jesus over nature, his identity and who he is, the greatness of him. And the unfortunate thing is all that cultural focus on, self, on the self, self-obsession, hasn't produced people who are any happier. A CVS survey, 2013 survey, surveys found that the millennials are the most stressed and most depressed uh, people amongst other, uh, all the people groups. All this self-focus hasn't produced lives are, that, are, uh, that are fulfilling, worth living. And here's the secret. Life isn't about self-actualization. It's not about ourselves at all. 
We're not designed this way. We aren't designed to find fulfillment by focusing on ourselves. In fact, it's the opposite. And this is a verse that we're going to focus on the rest of the sermon. Verse 35. Here is where the, 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 the most important verse here. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the, for the gospel will save it. The paradox is that if we lose ourselves in something greater than ourselves, that's when we find ourselves. That's when we find fulfillment in our life. When you're playing a game, when you're lost in playing football or badminton or whatever, you're not thinking about yourself at all. You're lost in playing the game, and that's when you are most satisfied. When you enjoy your work and you're engrossed in your work, you, you are all there. That's when you are most fulfilled. When we lose ourselves in love for another person, actually, that's when we find our happiness. Recently, I heard an interview, uh, NPR interview with uh, uh, CK, uh, Louis C.K. His humor is crass, and so I don't want to recommend him. But this interview was great. Um, I thought it was very insightful. He talked about emptiness of uh, being a single comedian. He said in the interview, the road really sucks when it's all that you have. It's, I'm really, it's really sad. It's very lonely out there. When you are all that you have, he went on to talk about how no amount of success is enough. You always compare, and it, it just, no amount of adulation was enough for him. But then he talked about getting married and having children. He said, there was this huge pride in having a kid, <clears throat> and also that I didn't matter anymore. The greatest thing about having a child is putting yourself second in your own life. It's a massive gift to be able to say you're not the most important person to yourself. He said when he started living for his children, when he started to put himself second, when he stopped obsessing about how to make himself happy, but started thinking about how to make his children happy, that's when he found fulfillment. And I was listening to this interview, and I was thinking, I really wanted to tell him that that is because our we are designed to find fulfillment in losing ourselves in something greater than ourselves. I wanted to tell him, actually, living for children is actually not enough. It does not bring that ultimate satisfaction that we're looking for. They will disappoint. They will leave. They will die. But there is a being for whom we are made. And when we deny ourselves for him, when we lose ourselves for his sake, we find our identity. We find our ultimate being with him. And this is what I really want you to be convinced of, that this is true, that in losing yourself, you find life. The Bible is very clear. Jesus is very clear. The paradoxical thing, uh, as paradoxical as this might seem and as difficult as it might feel, self-denial is how we find ourselves. So are you convinced? One change that the Holy Spirit should be making in our life, in our lives, is to make us less self-focused and more others-focused, more gospel-focused, more Jesus-focused. The Spirit should be making us to deny ourselves more, think about ourselves less often, and think about gospel more often, think about Jesus more often. And that is gospel change that he brings. If we're going to change as a, uh, as a church in the future, whether that's personal or uh, 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 
well, uh, if we're going to change, whether it's personal or as a church, it shouldn't be because of our own comforts, own our, our own needs, our own self-actualization. The gospel should be drawing us out of ourselves to change for others and to change for him. So I want to ask, is self-denial part of your discipleship? How much do you think about yourself when you came into church today? What, was, what did you pray about? Did you pray about your needs only, the, the things that you want? Or did you think about the gospel? Did you think about wanting to find him? Actually, I've already sort of said this, but self-denial, I guess, isn't enough. It was interesting that, uh, that this, uh, Louis C.K., he said that it, what freedom was actually for having a daughter. We can't just say, stop thinking about yourself. That doesn't work because we need to occupy our minds with something that is greater than ourselves. We need to think about something. And we need to think about something that is greater than ourselves. In fact, our hearts are always searching for that thing, that, that thing, something great, because we are looking for something to worship, always. This is David Foster Wallace, um, who gave a great commencement speech before he died uh, in Kenyon College. He told these graduates, the day, in, in the day-to-day trenches of life, there's no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. He's not a Christian. He's not a Christian, um, but he had this great insight that everybody worships something. Everybody worships something. And the trick is to choose what you worship. And he, his, the, the title of the speech uh, is, This is Water, because he wanted us to know that we don't often think about what we worship. A fish in water doesn't think about the, uh, the, the, the water that he's surrounded by. And we go on being shaped by the world, not realizing that our idols are shaped by the world around us, that we are not choosing to worship the right things. He pointed out how important the object of our worship is. And because he also figured out, actually, that when you worship uh, bad things, it harms you. Most of the things that we worship, he says, are harmful. He says that idols will eat you alive. Actually, it is a quote that's coming up. He goes on to say, if you worship money things, money and things, um, if they are where you're trapped, um, uh, where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You'll never feel that you have enough. That's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual uh, allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start to showing, uh, start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, and you will feel weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect. Being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. We need to deny ourselves, but then when we deny ourselves, we need an object of worship. We need to find the right object to worship, because the right object of worship will give you life, not take it away. And this is why Jesus said in verse 35, for whoever wants to save their lives will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. We need to be a people who are drawn out of ourselves into Christ, our King, into the gospel of knowing Him. 
We need to obsess about his kingdom, his goals, his plans, and him if we're going to find ourselves. If we change, we ought to be changing for Christ and for the gospel. And for that, we need to be convinced that Jesus is the one whom, for whom uh, 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 our heart uh, should worship. And Peter saw a glimpse of this, didn't he, in this passage. He confessed in verse 29, You are the Christ, the King, the Messiah, the promised King to come. Jesus then revealed more about his identity by calling himself the Son of Man. And that's, uh, uh, he's doing that deliberately. He's using Daniel 7 language. He's saying that he's not just a human king, that he's a heavenly king, the one to whom the whole earth will bow the knee. This is the Son of Man who will come shrouded in glory, given authority and power, and all of the earth will bow down to him. So we need to decenter ourselves. We need to recognize Jesus as our king and crown him there in our throne. It's not enough that you've come to church today. We can come to church and worship the same idols as everybody else in the world. In order to find out what you really worship, think about, this is what Tim Keller says in his book. It's a great book, Counterfeit God. You should pick up a copy and read it. He says, there are a few ways to test what your idols are, what you really worship. One is to think about what you daydream about. What do you daydream about? William Temple, uh, Bishop William Temple said that religion is what you, uh, what you do when you are alone. So when you're alone, where does your mind go? Because that's probably the default mode. That's where your mind is at rest. Where does it go? What do you think about? Do you think about yourself? Do you think about the next car, the bigger house? Do you think about your children, your relationships? What do you think about? Do you think about Christ? Do you think about him and his plans? Another way to find out, test this, is to look at your bank statements. What do you spend your money on? Where your treasure is, there your, your heart will be also, Jesus said. If I took a look at your bank account, would I be able to say, this person worships Jesus? This, is, this person treasures Jesus Christ. One more thing to find, uh, to, to test, is, uh, uh, test, test ourselves in, is what, what we think, what, what brings out this uncontrollable emotion. So what you really get mad about, what, what do you really, really care about? Is it harm to your reputation, comment on your looks, or loss of money? What gives your life meaning? What do you think is indispensable in your life? This series is calling, uh, we're calling it Gospel Change, and Gospel changes us. The gospel allows us to lose ourselves in him. We, we want to put Christ at the center. Because when we do that, we change. You know, the thing about change is that when you focus on yourself, you don't change. You need to be drawn out of yourself to change. When we put Christ at the center of our lives, we change for good. We don't change in the image of our idols. We change in the image of our son, the image of God's son, Jesus Christ. We need to crown Jesus as our king. We need to worship him and think about him in our life. The tricky thing in all that is that it's easy to deceive ourselves in saying, thinking, I worship Jesus when we really do not. It happened to Peter. Peter confessed that Jesus is the Christ. He got Jesus' identity right, but then he immediately betrays his misunderstanding what it means to worship Jesus. 
When Jesus started to teach about his impending suffering and death, Peter says in verse, uh, Peter in verse 32, took Jesus away. And then he began to rebuke him. And that's quite a strong word, rebuke. This is what Jesus does to Satan. He rebukes Satan. We're not told exactly what Peter said, but it's become clear what his motivation was. In verse 33, Jesus says, "You You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. He didn't have God um, in his mind, even though he confessed with his mouth that Jesus is his king, the son of God. He still had his agenda for him, for God. He wanted uh, to use Christ to achieve whatever he wanted to achieve. So he rebuked the son of God. And we know that Peter wasn't alone in this. I don't know if you caught this, but in verse 33, if you look at it, actually Jesus turns to all his disciples Peter wasn't alone. Jesus turns to all his disciples and then looks at Peter and rebukes him. None of the disciples wanted to suffer. They thought they, they struck gold with Jesus, that he turned out to be the anointed king. In fact, if you scan your eyes to uh, Mark chapter 9, you'll see in Mark chapter 9 verse 35 that disciples are going to argue about who's going to be the greatest Who's going to sit on Jesus' right and left hand? That's what they argue about. They were pursuing their own agenda with Jesus. In a way, that's very understandable. Because what Jesus was asking them to do was very difficult. First of all, he he was asking uh, the disciples to deny themselves. But not only that. He says, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross to follow him. And when you pick up the cross, there's only one destination. It's to your death. Jesus was asking his disciples to die, to surrender their rights and share in his suffering. Jesus himself as the king, the glorious king, glorious son of man, man, was going to go to his death. That He was saying that we must follow him on the path of the cross. And that path for Jesus wasn't easy. Remember how he cried out in the Mount Gethsemane, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Remember how he asked, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup away from me, yet not I will, but what you will. Remember how his sweat turned to blood. Remember how he cried on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The way of the cross certainly wasn't easy for our Savior. And he says, follow me. And in the Bible, the way the disciples' path wasn't easy because they followed on the way of the cross. Remember how Paul uh, wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 10 and 11, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are, all, uh, who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. For we who are alive are being given over to death. Is that you? Are you being given over to death? Are you carrying in, our, in your body the death of Jesus? Is that you? Or are you looking for self-fulfillment? The Holy Spirit has been poured out 2,000 years ago on the Pentecost. Everybody who calls on Jesus' name receives the Holy Spirit. And if Spirit is at work in you, if 
he should be drawing us out of ourselves into the gospel, into Jesus Christ. It will lead us to the way of the cross. It should make us more and more uncomfortable. It should yank us out of our comfort zones. It should force us to make sacrifices that we don't want to make for the sake of the gospel and for Christ. Now, if that's how we're changing, is that how we're changing or are we demanding God to serve us? Do you call Jesus your Lord, your King? Then whose concerns do you have? Whose agenda drives your life? Is it your agenda or is it the gospel agenda? What kind of life do you want? What kind of life do you want for your children? What do you want for this church? It wasn't easy for Jesus, but think about what Jesus did. He put the gospel first, which means that he put God's will and he put us first. Jesus, our king, put us before himself. He still went to the cross. He still was arrested and he still was crucified. He was abandoned. He died so that we could have all that he deserved, so that he could set us free from our idols, so that we could know the freedom of serving God who would die for us to know the freedom of serving God who gives us everything that we need in him. He put us first. Don't you want to serve God like that? Don't you want to lose yourself in a God like that? Don't you want to worship God like that? Don't you want to put his will, the uh, the will of a God like that before your own, to live your life for him? Gospel is all about changes. Wouldn't you want to change for a king like that? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you so much for what he has done for us. We thank you that he put us first, that we may have life. And Lord, we pray that that you would fill us with your spirit. You'd help us to examine our hearts really and see what, what drives our agenda, what we really worship. Help us to worship you. Help us to worship your son, Jesus. Help us to change into his image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.